0: welcome to the expansive ceo podcast i'm your host hannah chapman founder of expansive ceo and x squared wealth planning buckle in as we explore how to create true prosperity and build a business and a life that expands beyond yourself and makes a dent in the universe Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Investment Friday on the Expansive CEO Podcast. I am your host, Hannah Chapman, and I am here as usual, but not always, with Brad Haynes, Chief Investment Officer of Juncture Wealth Strategies. And it is Thursday, January 18th, right now, as we we record this for release on January 19th. Brad, what's up, man? How's it going?
1: Good. It's going really, really well. Yeah, I mean, uh, finishing the holidays, getting right back to it, getting right back into the uh, the economy, the markets, geopolitics. we got a lot going on, and uh, it seems like 2024 is going to be an interesting year, to say the least. Uh, whether it's good or not will remain to be seen, but for sure, it's going to give us our uh, lots to talk about from, from all those standpoints.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I want to remind listeners um, that we put out the uh, 2024 look ahead. Uh, If anyone still wants that, you can email either of us to get a copy of that, kind of a recap of last year, and then what are are the things that we're looking at uh, from an investment standpoint for 2024. So you can email me at Hannah H A N N H dot Chapman C H A P M A N at X the Numeral Two wealthplanning.com. And Brad, how can they get you?
1: Uh, you can get a hold of me, Brad Haynes or B Haynes, B-H-A-I-N-E-S at juncturewealth.com. Uh, just a case of note, I do have I have received a few emails um, from some of our listeners and viewers out there uh, that I have not responded to yet. So I apologize. But I am getting to those uh, emails in the next day or two and you will you'll have a copy in your inbox.
0: Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. So from there, launching now back into we did a couple of cool episodes um, that were a little bit more like how do we look at risk and how do we, um, you know, look at a full year in review what what do we expect for politics um and markets together in 2024 and now we're kind of getting back into the swing of you know trading and regular investment talk so how are things going so far in January and what are we looking at right now investment wise
1: yeah so uh this year has started off a little rockier um which is not unexpected given the really strong um, you know, last six weeks, last 10 weeks of, of 2023, where, you know, the first nine and a half months of 2023, essentially eight stocks drove the entire return of the broader indices. Well, you know, it, it, ever since Jerome Powell made that pivot of where the Federal Reserve might start looking to lower interest rates in 2024, all the investors rushed into assets that were beaten down small cap, real estate, regional banks, and those assets appreciated significantly in a very, very short period of time of 10 weeks. And so the first couple of weeks of this year, you've seen some of those assets settle back a little bit, come down a little bit. Um, You know, a great example is essentially small cap stock was up roughly 20% uh, in a 10 week period at the end of the year. And it's down five to six percent in terms of uh, the first couple of weeks of January. Again, nothing goes up in a straight line. We should expect some volatility given that given those situations. And so that's kind of where we are right now is what really did very, very well in the last ten weeks of the year has kind of settled back a little bit. Again, not very badly. Um, you know, just a small little normal, normal course of business volatility. Um and so so far from what we're seeing the themes of 2024 are still in play.
0: So with that um we wanted to talk today a little bit about kind of overall trends um and what that looks like you know the volatility within trends. And so one of the things I like to remind you know clients about when we're looking at hey you know, there was a run-up. So small cap stocks, for example, right? Juncture, we're like in small cap um, in our portfolios as an important aspect. And when things run up that much, so you said 20% in 10 weeks, right? Um, For the small cap index, that is always going to, maybe not always, we shouldn't say always or never, right? But most of the time, that's going to end up with people taking profits off the table. So if some if someone bought something what is that 14 weeks ago it ran up 20% you're going to have some profit taking coming off the table and we're going to see some resettling in that regard um is that what you see also or what what else would you call that
1: absolutely absolutely so that's a little variation with a trend right so any trend any time series and by me by what i mean by time series is any data um, any 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 data that comes in where time is the is a factor, so uh, you know price price of stocks, um, those are very very time they're dependent because it goes through time, right? So that's a time series. Um, anytime you have a time series, there's going to be some volatility or variability within the larger trend. You know, in a bull market, we go from point A to point B, which is much higher. But you have little corrections, little bounce down and up above that trend line. And that is completely normal, really very, very normal, nothing to worry about. Um, And so, you know, we've seen that in the first couple of weeks of this year, where, for example, if you take CPI, consumer price inflation, it's how people measure it's one of the more popular measures of inflation for the united states consumer well we we've decelerated or or disinflated from 9% at the high to now little over 3% so that is a larger trend of disinflation inflation coming down the growth of inflation coming down but this the, last week we had an announcement that the CPI had gone up a little bit more than we had anticipated. Still pretty low, very, very low relative to the peak, but it bounced up a little bit. So then it caused a little consternation with some of the investors saying, wow, well, maybe inflation isn't dead. Maybe the Federal Reserve may not lower interest rates as aggressively as we thought they would in 2024. So- it starts to have people reassess the positioning of their portfolios and to see what they need to do to react to those types of situations. Um, all very, very normal. Our trends that we put out in 2024 for the year ahead are longer term in nature. But I did remind people that we may have fits and starts in any of those trends, whether it be you know, the economy, economic growth. Uh, inflation, stock price appreciation, bond um, bond returns. So it's a normal course of business, but it gives us good opportunity for long term investors to step in and buy some things that they are still inexpensive.
0: And so I, I love what you mentioned about um, the the time series, and in looking at uh, returns over time periods, right? That's, that's really the way when we look in a, you know, financial planning meeting, uh, when we're looking at what is the trend forecast over time, a lot of, a lot of times, and even in the software, um, that I use, a lot of it uses a straight line model, meaning, okay, we're going to average 8% or seven and a half percent, whatever, whatever you're choosing to, um, as a rate of return over time, and so you know, if you have hundred thousand dollars today, it's going to go up in this pretty straight line at seven and a half percent per year per year over your lifetime, and you'll end up with you know multiple millions of dollars. One thing that that can give people is that literally that false representation of what actually happens in the markets over time. Um, and so another way that I actually like to look at that, we have another setting in our financial planning software that we use that shows, okay, what happens when it's variable? And so you can see sometimes sometimes the portfolio drops in a year, and then it goes up a lot in another year, and then it drops again. And these are all still based on historical averages, but it's just taking into account the market movement that naturally happens um, within, like you said, within a bull market trend line. Sometimes from, you know, one to three years is is going to look a certain way. You're going to see a certain amount of movement. You extend it for five years or extend it for 10 years. That's when the line starts to get softer or more linear looking. But when we go more granular and zoom in, that's when we see, you know, oh, that's right. We actually did move up and down a lot within that 10-year period.
1: Yeah, I, I think... The longer term you have, the longer time frame, the the less important that variability can become. Um, for example, if you're looking at if you're a pension fund and you're 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 a perpetual investor, right? You have a hundred years of time horizon. The day to day, the month to month, the year to year variability isn't really that important to you, as long as you're you're well diversified but for an individual investor it can be really critical uh an example is if is if someone sells a business and all of a sudden they have all this cash well they may invest it all day one but the fir- you know the the, the 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 when they invest it's really important for them to understand that the first couple of years the month they invest that cost basis becomes really important. Okay. So the first two to three years may look really good if they bought on a very good month or it may not look good. And and it's really independent of the manager. It's really based on what the markets are doing at that point in time. However, the longer time they're in the market, the less importance that that timing, that month of their investment becomes. And like you said, as you extend that that horizon out and they're, they're more, they're more, they're invested for longer. It becomes almost irrelevant. And so, but for a, for a client uh, it's very important to understand that you can under, you can go down for a few years in a row and we're still planning for that. We're still taking that into consideration when we're looking at your financial goals. And that's really critical.
0: Mm. You bring up, a really good point. Um, and I've been talking to a lot of different people lately who do, um, you know, kind of mergers and acquisitions or, you know, uh, counsel people on selling their businesses and, um, you know, these areas. And what does happen? I love this conversation of when you do sell a business. Let's say you do sell and you suddenly have an influx of $30 million. Um, after taxes, we're gonna pretend like it was a great sale. Maybe it was like 50 or 60, you end up with 30 million um, that you get to keep for your retirement. What do you look for with that person? Like what would be what would be your recommendation from the you know CFA and FRM standpoint? You know, how would we work together? Right. So I'm I'm the CFP over here, we're gonna plan for what you want and have, you know, different buckets of, you know, you need this for right now, you need this in five years, this stuff can, this amount can be uh, invested towards the future. What are you looking at from the investment management side for someone like that?
1: So it really depends. And I'm going to give you the canned answer because it's really not canned. It's actually true. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it really depends on the client. Um, Whenever you sell, whenever you sell a business, you basically own a hundred percent of a private equity, right? And so you've taken it off the table now. So now you have the ability based on your risk tolerance, your goals, your income needs, your liquidity preferences. What allocation should you have? You know, when you owned your business, you were kind of forced to own that business because that's what was generating. Your large returns and congratulations for an after-tax thirty million dollar sale—that's fantastic. Um, but once you know those really relevant and important pieces of information, then then you can you can plan. Um, what I would say, and I think I'm getting to your to the real question that I think you're asking is is how would you how how much would you invest? When would you invest? And my my inclination, and I tell clients this all the time, is I said, look, you just sold your business. Your business you owned for 10, 20, 30 years. It was in equities. You're not, you shouldn't avoid equity risk because you just made a ton of money in the equity markets, albeit private equity markets. So what I tell them is, look, Anytime you have your cash outside of the equity markets it's it's not like you're it, you need to be reinvolved right away and so generally what I tell people is if they can tolerate it from an emotional and a, a goals a goal standpoint invest all the money right away in the in the equity market if they can have a long-term perspective mm. if the client, has a shorter term perspective, you have to start modifying that investment based on what their expectations are. So for example, like I said, it could possibly be the first couple of years that person, uh, if the equity markets are very, very high, okay, let's say the equity markets are really, really high, okay, And, and it's real toppy and it's not acting well, um, I would probably talk to them about um, dollar cost averaging in, you know, start the process, get them involved at least a little bit, and then have that commitment that no matter what happens, we're going to reinvest some of that cash over a period of time. And it that could be dependent on how they feel and, and those types of things. But as an advisor and as a money manager, our job is to help educate them. And mm-hmm. I will, I tell the, I tell almost all the clients that do this is like, look, you need to get reinvolved right away. Typically, at least in my experience, the business owners that have sold are actually fairly young relative to where they will be eventually. And so they, they, they have a lot more time on their side still. You know, if they're 50, 60, 65 years old, they need to get reinvolved pretty quickly, whether it's all in or a a dollar cost average uh, budget or schematic over a period of time.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going with that question with, you know, and we've had this conversation with, um, you know, different specific people before too, like, should you dollar cost average or do you just go all in? And that perspective has come up over and over. Like, it really depends on how you feel. So if you're the client and you're gonna really be like in emotional turmoil that your, your investments are kind of mm, jumping up and down versus like, oh no, it's gonna be okay because I don't need that money for 30 years. So I, you know, I'm not even really going to look at it that much, right? That perspective is going to shape how we recommend what's going to what's going to be the right fit for you um because the the mathematical answer tends to be invest it now right like that's mathematical
1: pure math pure logic right? no emotion
0: <laughs> right and so and if that's okay like if your brain is like well then if that's the logical thing to do and i've had clients say that if that's the logical thing to do let's do it but then you know we have to also know our clients well enough to to say, hey, this happened last time we went through a rough patch. You responded this way. How are you feeling now, and how is that different from, you know, when you responded differently before? You know, are you going to be okay with with movement in the market if we invest everything right now? Um, yeah. So yeah,
1: you know, Hannah, I had a um, in previous in my career, I had I've had a client that. Uh, their demographic would suggest that they could be very, very aggressive, all equities all the time. Okay, um, but this individual, their 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 emotional makeup was such that they wouldn't they they really couldn't handle a lot of the ups and downs. Well, the downs they could handle the ups, right. but the downs <laughs> of a large equity allocation. So what we determined in that case was we broke it into four buckets. His portfolio we broke it into four buckets. One was his liquidity needs, meaning that's short term cash, emergency, um, you know. But that's like a savings, like if 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 you need to cash very very quickly to support yourself to buy something, that's what that bucket is. Second bucket is income. He needed because he sold the business and so he needed to replace that income flow. So we allocated enough funds to replace that, that income from his job. Then the third bucket was legacy, meaning basically inheritance for the kids. And then the fourth bucket was philanthropic. And each of these had different structures, but they were in separate accounts. And here's why that's really, really critical because when we broke it out with by goal that way um the legacy and the philanthropic bucket the client had absolutely no problem with investing it instantly for long term because that wasn't considered quote unquote his money hmm. it was the kids money and it was the charity's money and he knew that and he was totally fine when we went through ups and downs that those two buckets were very, very heavily growth-oriented. In the income bucket, we were very, very safe. Income was pretty steady, very, I mean, exactly kind of scheduled the way he liked to get it. And, and then obviously the the cash, emergency cash bucket re- really helped because he was like, even if the equity market's down, I can live for a couple of years without taking a lot more money from the portfolio. So,
0: mm, I love that. I love that breakdown because it's, um, it's still really simple, right? It's it's not super complicated. Um, that's one of the things that can happen to Again, when you're growing a business, right, and you're focused on this one thing, and then you know, if you end up with you know several million or tens of millions or a hundred million dollars, suddenly all of the ideas you know, that people can throw at you for what should you do with all that money uh, can feel overwhelming. And it can be like, there's, there's like too many options. Like, Hey, you know what? We can actually simplify this and still have everything accomplish what you want to accomplish with it.
1: It, Exactly. I mean, this individual is very, very uncomfortable with private investments because of his risk tolerance. Mm. But he had a long time horizon left. So, like I said, his profile, if I would just had to write it out on a piece of paper, his profile was such that he would be he should have a lot of involvement there. Um, so when we broke it out into the four buckets, his legacy bucket, because it was such a long time horizon, he had absolutely no problem investing. And he's, he made a tremendous amount of money on those investments over that long period of time. But again, he had to frame it, he had to mentally account for it in his mind that to, to help him tolerate those volatilities. So it's just, you know, it's one solution we came up with. We've used it with a number of different clients and it 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 really does seem to work when people are are very nervous at the outset.
0: Mm. And in uh in the CFP literature, that's literally called mental accounting. Like that's that's what that is, right? Um yeah. it's it's your it's giving yourself the ability to say this money, it's all money, right? If you had 10 million dollars, it's all 10 million dollars. But if you give yourself the ability to break it out into this this bucket is for a certain thing this one's for something else that mental accounting is um is our our nervous system's way of you know creating space to be okay with movement and so that's it's partially a behavioral finance piece but then also just like the acknowledgement like you said of where are you at on the risk profile side um, and how do we then build something that fits for what what you want to accomplish and honors like the fact that you know we can we can move with market cycles and we can be really um, have powerful strategies that will work over time. So I love that.
1: Yeah, it was it, it seemed to work for him, so we've used it with a few others.
0: Yeah. and that the other the other thing that I wanted to, um bring into this conversation so kind of like veering off of that for a moment which I think is super valuable for especially for our audience who a lot of them are business owners um i wanted to talk a little bit about inflation which is also crucial for business owners um to understand but one concept that i think um i've seen talked about you know it's kind of in the zeitgeist um uh, when we talk about disinflation and the inflation numbers coming down, uh, and the disconnect between people thinking that that means prices are also coming down. And I don't think we talked about this last time because it, we, it wasn't part of that conversation, but you know, gas prices being a really an interesting example because their prices do go up and down, right? When the yes. when a barrel of oil gets cheaper, the price of gas eventually, comes down as well but that is not typically the case when we look at food in the grocery store um, or the price of um, vehicles or you know anything like that where you know the housing are, prices house, right housing prices um we're not necessarily seeing corrections to what we might think of okay if the price went way up it should come back down that's what that means right no, it actually doesn't mean that. When we see lower inflation or disinflation, that's still more than zero. The price is still going up from what it was before. It's just at a lower rate. Um, yeah. So can you talk about that for a little bit?
1: Yeah, that's actually I, I dedicated three or four slides or uh, pages in my 2024 look ahead because – um a part of this whole rally over the since basically 2020 to now has been um, people feeling terrible about the economy and about their own financial situation. Even though we've had a strong labor market, we've had strong wage growth, we've had strong equity market returns, but yet people aren't feeling it. They're feeling terrible still about their situation, and I think you've nailed a couple things right on the head. Is disinflation means that the prices are growing but at a slower rate than they were okay deflation is when prices are going down so using the using gasoline prices as a good example gasoline prices are really really volatile and they can go up i.e. inflation and they can go down which is deflation so they inflate and deflate uh, quite a bit, actually, over over a period, over a cycle. And so, one of the things that I think people and consumers and are are feeling is that yes, inflation is coming down on an annual rate, but the cumulative effect over the last three years isn't coming down. It's still there. It's just growing at a much slower rate. Uh, our calculation was. I mean, essentially, if you take wage growth, subtract out inflation, cumulative over the last couple of years, you're about 22% in the red, meaning your income, unless you got a 22% raise, your income, you are actually, your income is providing less or buying less than it was two to three years ago. Uh, And that's a big deal. That's where... You're starting you see that in the in the narrative with the with uh, the election cycle that's starting to become a big deal um, because that cumulative impact is really, really critical for U.S. households, because if you're going to the grocery store and you used to spend 80 bucks a week and now you're spending one hundred and forty dollars a week. That's a big deal. That 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 does crimp your consumer discretionary spending. Your spending on entertainment, vacations, school clothes, all of those things that are necessary, um, but you're you have less less money to to, to purchase those with. So um, that cumulative effect of lower real wage growth is really. Way, is starting to weigh on households which is one of the reasons that we think first half this year economic growth is going to kind of bounce around zero um, and then start to accelerate here at back half of the year as the Fed lowers interest rates mm. but it's still going to be a lo- a little bit of a slog um, for households to get back to where they were in a purchasing power uh, effect because it takes it takes a while you know, wage growth still around 5%, inflation's around three. So we're making it back up. But it takes, it's going to take a number of years to get back to the point where we, we actually feel as wealthy as we did uh, a couple of years ago.
0: Mm. It's so interesting. And I think, yeah, I think that point gets missed or buried um, in the, just the normal course, discourse on the subject, you know, that over that that time frame like you're saying that that cumulative amount is really um a powerful number to look at and to understand why you know why you're feeling the way you're feeling so
1: yeah it, it's also really important like when you're doing financial planning because what people forget is if you have a long time horizon left even if if inflation is 2% which is the target very low inflation but if it's 2% and it's 10 years you better have a plan to make up that purchasing power difference mm-hmm. so if you're all in bonds and you have 30 years left of life presumably um and inflation's 2% you better you're you're going to have to make up that difference you're cuz you're the dollar you're spending today is not going to be worth what it is in 10 years. And so it's one of the reasons that we talk to clients about, you know, if you're young enough, you need to have at least a minimal amount in equities to, to keep pace with that inflation rate, you know, 30, you know, generally it's 20 to 30% at a minimum just to keep pace with that inflation. Now, again, that's a very long-term thing, but it's something that consumers and clients and prospects and everybody who's investing needs to, to consider
0: yeah that that piece is always crucial. It has to be built in um when you're doing forecasting uh, for the future. So that's you know, that's a piece. um when I do you know planning with clients, we're we're using kind of a two, around two and a half percent is what we're forecasting over a long period of time. And it's pretty interesting to see what that ends up looking like, right? with if, if you spend, let's say you spend a hundred thousand dollars today. By the time you're and you're in your 40s, by the time you're in your 70s, that same amount of money is like, you know, three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars that you are spending on an annual basis to be equal to those dollars spent today. Um, and so that's the kind of planning we're doing. You yeah, you can't assume that. Well, if I spend hundred thousand dollars today, then I'll be spending hundred thousand dollars in 20 years. Like ah, that you're you're gonna be pinching pennies. Um, yeah, if that's, if that's the case and cutting back on a lot of different things, uh, if, if you literally are planning to spend the exact same dollar amount. Um, so having the same purchasing power is what we're actually looking at over, over your lifetime. How do we keep you in an equal purchasing power over the next, you know, like whatever, whatever your time frame is. Um, like you said, 30 years, 40 years, sometimes, you know, if someone wants to retire at 55, we're going to plan, you know, for at least 40 years of retirement, um, point. So yeah, that's a really, really good point. Thank you.
1: Yeah. It's like, I tell people that if you have a long time horizon left, really your biggest risk is inflation, purchasing power decline. So we got to, we got to plan for that risk first, and then we can, we can do, do some other things, but.
0: Love that. Well, we are good um, for this week. Uh, We want to wrap up here. And as always, if you have any questions, um, if any topic is like coming up that you want to hear more about, or, um, you know, you've been wondering, you know, anything, anything on the investment side, the financial planning side, send us an email. Um, We shared that earlier and it'll be in the show notes as well and um, put podcast question in the subject line so that we can find it easily. And we will be sure to address it on another episode. So thank you, Brad, as always for being here. I appreciate you.
1: You're welcome. Appreciate you. Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye, bye for now, everyone. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to like and subscribe. And again, if anything resonated with you from this episode, I would love to hear from you. Email me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at expansiveceo.com and tell me about it. And if you're ready for your greatest expansion, you can find ways to work with me at expansiveceo.com and at xsquaredwealthplanning.com. That's X, the numeral two, wealthplanning.com. So until next time, remember that there is enough, you are enough, and your birthright in this lifetime is to be expansive.